Today you've joined hundreds of established and emerging writers who are discovering ways to reach their writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. You're listening to Ann Croker, Writing Coach. This is episode 199, Insights into Christian Publishing with Nav Press publisher Don Pape. Today I'm chatting with Nav Press publisher Don Pape. Don has published over a dozen New York Times bestsellers, including Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Don's also the publisher of Julie Cantrell's Into the Free, which won the 2013 Christie Book of the Year Award. He led a team that won 20 Addy Awards between 2008 and 2010 for David C. Cook titles recognized for best cover or book design. Born in Brazil, Pape graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. He speaks fluent French and Portuguese and is married with three sons. His multicultural publishing career in sales, marketing, and graphic design has led him to a variety of roles, including executive, literary agent, and consultant. Don and I met years ago when my first book came out, and he jokes in the interview that he's not an expert, but let me tell you, he is, and I am honored to call him a friend as well. His focus has always been in the Christian publishing industry, but even if you're writing for the general market, you'll hear about changes in publishing in general and learn from Don how writers can and should practice their craft. So let's dive into my conversation with Nav Press publisher, Don Pape. Well, I am so pleased to have my friend and publishing expert, Don Pape, here with me today. Welcome, Don. Yeah, I guess we could edit right there and and do the publishing expert thing and bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you tell why don't you tell us a little bit tell a friend and publishing I think you've earned it, Don, and I I would love to hear you explain to people a little bit about what you do now and if you'd like to, you can weave in your history in the publishing world. Sure. So I am currently publisher at Nav Press which is the publishing arm of the Navigators, a a ministry worldwide, actually. Uh, Our U.S. office is here in Colorado Springs. Uh, Just down the road is the international office that oversees uh, the global ministry of the Navigators. And its wheelhouse, in its wheelhouse, is uh, essentially working to make disciples who are disciple makers. So it's not just a matter of knowing Jesus, but helping other people know Jesus and and do the same. So replicating is really a key uh, of the ministry. And so that is the wheelhouse that I'm working within publishing. So all of our books that we publish here, we look at it through that lens of, will this help someone grow in their walk with Jesus or help them be a better disciple maker? Uh, and make other followers of Jesus. So um, I have been here five years now, and it's uh, been an honor and a privilege. I have been in the industry uh, for over 30 years. I kind of came in the back door. I worked on university staff in Toronto, Canada, and part of uh, making a little bit of extra money, you could work at the University Press warehouse and pick, pack, and ship books uh, to people. And so I did that and kind of got the bug of loving books. I've always loved books. I grew up in a family that 
we read, uh, I mean, Sunday afternoon, it was sort of typical to go home and after lunch, you'd curl up with a good book. So publishing, communicating, a love of books, reading, uh, communicating fresh ideas has, is sort of in my DNA and my blood. And so, so started in, as I said, the back door, working in a warehouse. Then I worked in graphic arts, graphic design, actually. Uh, and then through marketing, uh, started working for in Canada for a company that led to an opportunity in the U.S., working first here in Colorado Springs with Waterbrook Press. Uh, that's a, a division of Random House. And then after serving there, uh, did a stint, a brief stint as an agent, and then got back into publishing again at David C. Cook, and then uh, came from David C. Cook over here. So worked in a variety of venues, and, and working in Canada, I had the privilege of working as a marketing rep for a variety of companies like Multnomah, Bethany House, uh, Garborg, Dayspring, a variety of different U.S.-based companies. So I, I have the thing I appreciate about my career is just having friends in all of these different places and uh, people that like uh, good books and finding fresh voices. What a history. You have seen it through so many lenses and you know, like you just said, you know so many people. Everywhere I go, if I drop the name Don Pay, people just light up. You are not only known, but you're loved. Well, I mean, that's part of... of uh, I, I actually think it's part of my view of what I do. Um, while, whilst I've worked for a Waterbrook or a David C. Cook, you know, it really is kingdom work. And, you know, even though I'm in the business of publishing, I keep reminding certainly those colleagues of mine here at The Navigators that publishing is a ministry. We have such a, a, a reach, uh, not only in the U.S., but globally with our books. And so we, we have a huge touch. And I just think every one of us um, in publishing, whether you're an editor, an, an author, you know, someone uh, handling the production, we're engaged in, in ministry work, kingdom work. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a delight. And, and, you know, part of my delight in it is discovering voices, uh, fresh voices. So, and I, I think back on your book, the contemplative mom that, you know, I always say to you was probably slightly ahead of its time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were using the word contemplative before people knew what it meant, but, um, yes, so be it. But, um, you know, just, I mean, the beauty of that book, finding a young woman in Indianapolis who had some thoughtful, uh, biblical expressions to share with other young moms. Um, and, you know, I, that's my that's my history of finding those voices and just celebrating being stewards of, of that message, that voice. Well, I can tell you, as one who was discovered, if you will, uh, by you. Thank you so much for making that possible. I know that uh, we do sit in places like Indianapolis and Toronto and all over, and we wonder, is it possible to even break into this industry? And sometimes it does take somebody like you with some vision and some you know, um, 
hope that this person will gain traction and there can be not just this business arrangement, but this partnership, this relationship, and then like you're pointing out, the kingdom work that's involved too, which is such a great grounding for for your world in the CBA. Um, So thanks for sharing that. And it is really amazing to look back on how long you and I have known each other. I think that dates back to like 1990. Should I say it out loud? I just already revealed how long ago it was. Uh, it was, it was very, like 98 or 99. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. All, all I, I do remember, it was a very cold day in January. <laughs> um, as I recall. <laughs> when we met, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that was very cold. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, we go back. And I remember your short stint as an agent. I think I was very shortly represented by you very yeah, briefly there we go. <laughs> during that time. So... Well, uh, tell me a little, you know, that's a long time to be in the industry. And like I said, you've seen it through all these different lenses. What are some of the the major changes that you've seen? I mean, I'm, it's got to have evolved in a dramatic way since back then. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the most immediate is the channel. Uh, 30 years ago, really, the only venue that a Christian author had was their local Christian bookstore. So Maranatha books in your town or Christian book and Bible or, you know, the gift chest, these, these little, uh, lights on a hill, if you will, uh, that were Christian bookstores and they dotted the land, you know, both Canada and U S the, they had the Christian booksellers association and, uh, a variety of bookstores and uh, towns and villages that were really just that, the, these um, light posts that provided their communities with Christian resources. And then you sort of fast track to today where, you know, A, the association, Christian Booksellers Association, is essentially defunct. Uh, there are other organiz- other entities trying to revive that, but CBA as we once knew it no longer exists. Um, and, and, and the vehicle, you know, the, the elephant in the room is amazon.com. That's, you know, the primary vehicle for most people getting their books. But then you also have, uh, the independent bookstores, uh, the, the general market bookstores like Barnes and Noble in, in my area, we have a good representation of our titles at the tattered cover in Denver. And so that has really shifted the landscape uh, and it's made it harder, I believe, for publishers to find the consumer because, you know, we had one outpost Christian bookstore and now we have many. So you can find Christian books in airport stores, in grocery stores, in pharmacies, independent bookstores and Amazon. And of course, most people like the convenience of online shopping, but with that, uh, you remove the personal contact with someone who, you know, in the good old days of bookstores, you'd walk in and say, you know, I'm a friend is just going through a divorce. They've, uh, I've lost a friend to leukemia or, uh, a couple in our church, they've just lost their child. Um, what, you know, they lose the personal contact that was provided back in those days. So it's a challenge for us as a publisher to find the consumer and how do we let them know of the great product that we have. Um, but it's a challenge. Um, 
And I don't have any easy answers. <laughs> that I was just, just going to ask, yeah, how have you shifted? How, how have you evolved to match this change? But maybe there is no, maybe there is no answer. Well, you know, sadly, I, I, you know, without getting on a soapbox and doing a, you know, shop local, don't buy from Amazon kind of a kick. Um, you know, I think you can do a, that. <laughs> we don't mind. You can well, say that. I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to speak to me personally. I, I'm an Amazon Prime person, and I just absolutely love, as does my wife, to at any given time of the day to be able to go online and order anything from the latest book to the newest release in music or candles or cereal. I mean, you know, it's all there. And I know that, you know, if I call the bookstore and they say, no, I don't have that book, but we can get it in eight days. I know the convenience of this monolith is that they'll deliver it to my house by tomorrow afternoon. And so I, I personally have had to selfishly address, uh, or I have had to address my selfishness in that regard to say, okay, what is my selfish desire for that item doing to my industry, to retail in general? You know, when I drive down my street, my, my, city street and see empty storefronts you know i have participated in that by doing some of this so you know i i try truthfully i try as much as possible go to my local store bookstore and you know if they don't have the book to say yes can you order it for me even though um i know what the alternative is and i have to be patient (laughs) So what is this doing? How are how are we helping the industry by doing that? Just by creating like creating and uh, forcing Amazon to have a few fewer buyers. What's that, what's happening there? Yeah, I mean it's it's sustaining your local retailer. It's supporting the independent booksellers. So, you know, in my area, I like there are two wonderful bookstores in Denver, the the De- uh, Book Bar there are many independent bookstores in our area, but two, two that I particularly like is the Tattered Cover. Uh, it's a well-known, recognized store in Denver and the mm-hmm. Book Bar. They're independent. They're not Christian stores, but they do carry Christian product. And one of the things these independent bookstores are realizing that as Family Christian has disappeared and subsequently Lifeway is going away in brick and mortar, there's an opportunity for these independent bookstores to say, hey, there is a population in my community that is Christian and that are buying these faith titles. Perhaps I should give some attention to that and start catering to them. Um, otherwise, they're just going to kiss them goodbye and, and you give them uh, sort of license to continue to buy it online. Um, I mean, online is... Right. Online retail is a whole phenomenon that's new to this generation. And, you know, I think for subsequent generations, maybe a lifestyle uh, change. I have Mm -hmm. learned the process of buying online. Uh, My grandchildren, that will be a normal process for them. They'll, they'll, they won't have grown up with the Sears wish catalog, (laughs) for example, (laughs) that, that I did, you know, so. That, that is a, that is a challenge, and and I think for writers it is it's it's a good news bad news scenario. One, the good news is um, you can publish whatever you want independent of publishers and get it 
out there online through, um, share, you know, through uh, getting self-published. The bad news is there's a lot of people getting published, and so, uh, you know, how how do you get discoverability uh, as a that term is used? How do you, you know, and brings out a book, but you bring out a book with 52,000 other writers, and how do I discover Anne above those other 52,000? Yes, so that's where publishers have the backing of their own marketing team, and potentially they can secure a publicist for their author, at least for the first few weeks, months of it, the lifespan of the book. Right. Is that is launch, that an advantage? Of- launch teams are really important. We're doing a lot with launch teams right now, uh, encouraging authors to work with a group of, you know, what, what Ken Blanchard called uh, raving fans, uh, people mm-hmm. that you're connected with that you don't connect with their tribe, so to speak. And so they will introduce you to their group of people, their cluster. And so the launch team becomes really important. Um, rightly or wrongly, and, and in some cases, sadly, uh, the reality for authors is that they are much more engaged in their book than in the past. In the past, you could probably give your book over to a publisher and then go back to your Hobbit house and start writing again. Now (laughs) you've got to give the book to the publisher and then get fully engaged with the marketing team, the publicity team as to how to reach the consumer and addressing it in a way that will reach the right people. And who best knows the content of the book, who better than the author, right? And so you bring that level of expertise and insight to say, hey, you know, I've written this book about Alzheimer's. Perhaps we should contact the Alzheimer's Society. And I know this person there. Or, you know, I've written this book on autism and I work with the local chapter and they could introduce us and so on and so forth. Um, But it it really, um, we as publishers invite the author now to be much more participatory in the launch of the book than ever before. You know, it's not like once you've handed the manuscript in, the job is done. (laughs) To be honest, to quote the carpenters, we've only just begun. (laughs) So yeah, that's a big shift for the authors then in this new era of publishing is get involved, get, yeah, get engaged. Yeah. And, and, and see your publisher as a partner in a win situation. You know, I think there's often a tendency to look at the marketing people or the salespeople that they're not doing their job or they don't get it. But if you can see them as partners and you bring to the table, what you can bring to the table, you know, ideas, contacts, um, that is very much appreciated. Of course. Yeah. And then you, as this bigger entity, the publisher can amplify that message through avenues that the individual wouldn't have access to and thus the partnership i like that yeah when it comes to the thing the the things needed to have a successful book i've heard such three categories of things basically the platform the book concept and the writing itself and this is expressed by in different ways by different people and agents have their little 
threefold gimmicks. But in the end, it comes down, not, I didn't mean gimmicks, but just ways of phrasing things. Uh, why this book? Why now? And why you as the author? Th- those kinds of ways of categorizing these. How do you think of it? When, you think, when you're considering a project, how do you think of those three basic categories? And am I forgetting something? No, I mean, those, those are right on. Uh, unfortunately, in the world of sales, um, platform overshadows everything. So, you know, often when we are presenting an author, it, it is sales and marketing that will bemoan the lack of a platform. The, you know, oh, they only have 50 people on their Facebook, or they only, you know, have 100 people that they reach through the website. And so um, that that is a challenge. Um, the, the platform is very much a part of it. Um I, I think, and those that, at the end of the day, a good book is a good book. And I still, there are still people out there that value good books, uh, content. And that, that, that really is it. So, yeah. That makes me happy. I think that makes every listener happy to, to think that you still, a good book is a good book. I think we all agree when we open it up. Well, I, but, I mean, we, we all have... Well, I was just going to say we all have have gone into the bookstores and seen the bestsellers, or looked at the New York Times list and said, "How on earth is that book <laughs> a number one title?" And and unfortunately, that's our reality. We do have um, readers who are, pardon me, but reading crap. <laughs> and yeah. unfortunately, that that is our reality. I I like to think more of my career as publishing quality books that may never hit the bestseller list, but they've, uh, it's been a really fresh original take on a certain topic, uh, well-written and frankly had an audience that made it at least somewhat commercially viable. What do you think that is? Would you be willing to, to offer some, something, uh, maybe numbers, but just an idea of what would be a platform you could work with? You know, I, I think there is truly a time and place for folks to self-publish. So I don't, you know, when I go to a, a writer's conference, for example, uh, I meet many aspiring writers, and my role there is principally to encourage them in uh, pursuing their, their gift, or their, their words. Uh, and in some cases, it may be just a matter of, hey, write this down and give this to your family. Um, and that that's okay. They should be content with doing that. In other cases, they should be content in self-publishing and you know printing 500 copies of the book that they get in front of people. And then there are other people where you just say, boy, you're onto something there. I think you should at the very least, try to get in front of a bona fide publisher that would take you to a bigger market than if you're self-published. So, you know, I've sort of identified the three layers of writers that I see out there, those that are leaving a legacy for their family or community, those who, you know, have have a ministry perhaps and, you know, are doing enough events that they could self-publish, and then someone who... Uh, really deserves, you know, as as a good steward of the message to go broader. 
What a great way of framing it too, that, that they are, they have an opportunity to go broader based on them themselves, their message, and then they can reach more people through you. That's really Yeah. Cool. I mean, I guess, you know, I guess it pains me to be at a writer's conference with writers and, you know, look them in the eye and say, um, you're, you're never going to get published. Um, it, it pains me. And when I'm at a writer's conference and, uh, you just know that person isn't going to get a six figure deal. Yeah. But you, you know that they've got something to say. And so at the end of the day, I, I don't go to a lot of writer's conferences <laughs> to be honest, but when I do my role, I always tell people up front, I am not coming to find the next, you know, Danielle Steele or Max Licato. I, I come solely to provide encouragement to these writers um, who are in a very tough market. It's a tough field. And so at the very least, I can say, you know, this is really good. I hope you're giving consideration to, you know, being a good steward of this, whether it's getting it done up at Tinko's for all 20 members of your family. <laughs> uh, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's noble as well. That's a noble uh, goal for one's writing project. There's nothing wrong with that. And they shouldn't be ashamed if that's what they choose to do. Right. That's a beautiful gift. It's writing as a gift. Yeah. It is a gift. And, and it's a great, it's a discipline that many people engage in simply to get published. And I would say that's a bad, that's a wrong motive. You don't, you know, get get up in the morning and write to hit the New York Times or USA Today list. <laughs> um, I mean, if you are doing that, I would question your motive. And I would question probably your content. Because, yeah, <laughs> leave it there. Interesting. So when you when you look to see trends going on in the world, you see things happening, do you ever actually ask a writer, can you touch on this topic? Can you write on this topic? We do, uh, actually. Uh, in fact, I just did this with my team last week. We had a uh, visiting and I had actually broached the topic with them of doing a series of Bible studies for young couples uh, and that led to a discussion that led to another idea that led to a book idea and so it's it's um, that happens a lot actually and uh, <clears throat> I can think of an example um, more recently of uh, there's an artist that was with the band Delirious, Stu Gerard, and met him many years ago and talked about a book idea that germinated, germinated, threw out ideas. No, that doesn't work. What about this idea? And ultimately, you know, it got published last year as Words from the Hill, uh, a book that looks on the, at the Sermon on the Mount uh, through really fresh eyes. Um, but, you know, it was, I, I don't know, probably six years in the making. And those are fun projects because there's a lot of give and take, a lot of what would it be like if you considered this topic. Um, yeah, not every book is like that, but those are fun projects. Uh, to do. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and I, I think it's maybe suggests that as a writer, as an author, I, I or anyone listening could also say, hmm, what's going on that I might like to write about? 
how do you feel about that from somebody presenting to you? Or maybe it's not the, you know, the heartbeat of their soul that's been hounding them for years, but rather just something they're really drawn to and they decided to try. Are you equally drawn to either kind of project? Yeah, well, I mean, what draws you to the project is when the author is passionate about that. If they're just a gun for hire, you know, that, and you get that at writers' conferences, um, you'll meet with an individual who will say, now, what would you like me to write about? What's hot right now? And there's, there's no heat in that. There's no passion. They're just kind of, like I said, a gun for hire. And, um, you know, back in the day when Left Behind series, uh, the fiction series, was hot, uh, you know, there were a number of writers that just said, oh, I'll just knock off a sort of end times apocalyptic fiction series and everyone will want it. Um, there has to be passion there and you can pick it up. You know, when you're with an author, you can tell, boy, they're burning to tell this story. And as opposed to, hey, what you want me to write about and I'll knock it out and get it to you in two days. <laughs> um <laughs> There's no, there's probably no craft involved there. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any advice if uh, you've got somebody listening in and they're, who knows where they're at in their journey? Maybe they're just starting out. Maybe they're thinking about their second book. You can kind of create some scenarios in your head of advice you'd offer them that can help them grow in whatever way you think is maybe being neglected in general. Yeah, you know, I mean, and because we're talking specifically or primarily to a Christian audience, I, I often say that it's, it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, start out by writing to an audience of one. You know, be a good steward of what God has given you. So, you know, if it's writing poetry, write really good poetry. If it's writing a book from your experience with cancer, write a really good book about that. But write it not with the end goal of getting it published. Write it just, I want to be a faithful steward of the words that God has given me. And then, you know, if a, a an agent or a publisher stumbles upon it, that's just gravy. It's like, whoa, I never in my wildest dreams thought that this would happen. And I, I have a number of stories I could share where you know, I've stumbled on an author who had a story to tell. And, and I, actually, I, I should say, I've stumbled on an individual who had a story to tell. They probably never thought of themselves as an author, or they never viewed themselves as a writer. But they had something that they had experienced that I was able to say, you know, you should really write about that. And, um, and then help them in the discipline of being a faithful steward of those words that's excellent what are some craft types of activities you recommend to become a better writer oh read lots read read good Mm -hmm. books i mean you know read read a severe mercy read some of the classics um read children's books um so read i think is one uh the other is discipline you know i I think it's really hard to be a writer because um it it is a craft and so you know if if you're a carpenter you don't learn how to build good uh you know you don't build good furniture by just 
going to Ikea, you, you, you know, that, that's a quick stop. But you learn the craft of building furniture by learning about the wood you use, and it, it is a craft. So it, when it comes to writing, I think it's the same thing. It's a discipline of saying, you know, each morning I'm going to get up and from five to six, I'm going to write. Or, you know, if you're a young mom or someone with a young family, you might say that's impossible. But the hours of, of 10 till midnight are going to be when I write. But again, it's a discipline, right? And so um, that is part of the craft. And also then being having a community that can help you. You know, I think being part of a writer's group is, is a good thing. Um, people who are not biased, you know, if you give something to your mom, she is going to naturally say, oh, this is really lovely, Anne. But you want a critique group that will be honest and tell you that really sucked. It's really bad. <laughs> you know, and help you grow. Yes. So this, those are just a few things uh, that come to, to mind about the craft. There, there's a lot of bad writing out there, and it's because people are lazy, to be honest. Yeah. That's honest. That is being honest. And <laughs> it's, yeah. And I think that that call to say, I'm going to, I am going to have the discipline to do the work. I'm going to have the discipline to improve can't be said enough. You're right. Sometimes we, you said sometimes we're lazy. I think also sometimes we hurry and we speed up the process and didn't give it time to develop, didn't get ourselves time to mature as writers. And so sometimes the story has to be told because of timeliness reasons. Yeah. Sometimes we need to leave it a little time to mature. Yeah. Well, and, and to find your voice. You know, I think the danger of, of telling people to read is, uh, you know, you may read a well-known female writer and then suddenly find that you're taking on their voice when... I don't want to hear that author regurgitated through you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear and not person X, Y, and Z. And it takes a while. You know, I, I think you would agree as you look at your writing career and that it's taken you a while. You know, I think back on some of the early stuff you were doing with uh, a co-writer and, you know, there it it was a very different scenario and then as you developed as you you came into your own suddenly oh now i have the and and voice it's not an and does that make sense yes it does and i remember and i think you're right yes i needed to have experience i needed i needed time i needed confidence and all those things come with practice absolutely yeah What's something you've been really proud of? Oh, boy. <laughs> so many. Uh, I mean, I've been proud of working with Travis Thrasher on an amazing young adult series that we did together. Um, I'm proud of listening to my son when he called me and told me about Francis Chan. And we were privileged to do Francis's book, Crazy Love. You know, I'm proud to have worked with Liz Curtis Higgs on Bad Girls of the Bible. That was such such a fun project. And then, you know, another project, uh, again, you talk about platform. We did a book at Waterbrook by a pastor's wife. Her name was Joanna Weaver. 
lives up in Montana. She did a book called Having a Merry Heart in the Martha World uh, that has gone on to sell. And it was, you know, she had no platform, no TV show, no radio. She was just writing from her heart a real felt-need book. Um, so that that's something I'm really proud of. And there, there are many others. I, I'm just privileged to know so many people. You know, more recently, we were talking earlier about Eugene and Jan Peterson. Uh, what a what a high privilege to call them friends. And you know, I think that's that's I think what I've come to realize too in being in this business that these writers aren't just commodities. They are dear friends that I love dearly. Um, and I, I have so many of you all across the country and it's been uh, a privilege to have just a tiny part in uh of your your writing careers that is so great i i would like to think that every publishing editing relationship could be like that agent the agent relationship too i don't know do you think that's do you think that's normal is that how it is for I everyone it, not I just it, you <laughs> I, i'm sure many of my colleagues would share that. I mean, it, it's the, it's the, you know, that moment of discovery when you, you find that author and you bring their book to market and go, Whoa, I had a part in that. And, you know, these, like I say, these are not widgets. These are, you know, blood, sweat and tears <laughs> that we have pried out of your hand to take to market. And yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I think for the most part, most most of my colleagues would feel that way. It's it's a it's a very unique world, and uh, it's really a high calling, a high privilege that we have to uh, to bring these ideas uh, to market. Yeah, you know that, that's very hopeful. I think for a writer to or an author to realize that yes, I am partnering with a publisher with this this team. But they're seeing me as a person as well as the product that they certainly want to have succeed. Uh, but there's a sense that you also want me as a human, as a person, as a partner to to succeed as well in this whole process. I, I like that because, you know, it is a business, too, as well. I mean, in, yours is a ministry, maybe more than a lot of organizations. But, um, yeah, it you want it to succeed financially, but you also want the whole thing to yeah, succeed, to I, be a success. I, I think too often, and uh, the money part muddies the waters. I think there's definitely this thought that, you know, a, a workman is worthy of his hire. So, you know, you don't want to throw uh, pennies to someone who is investing months and months, years uh, in writing the book. But mm-hmm. when the relationship is solely based on a financial transaction, that's when I think the the love of this industry goes away because then it's just a business proposition. I will give you thousands of dollars for you to give me a book and we will take it to market and we'll see what happens rather than an investment in an individual. And I, I certainly feel that advances have a place, but um, the advances can, like I say, often muddy the relationship and that's when I kind of get sad about the, the industry because uh, you've seen a lot of relationships go sour because of the financial side. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I guess in some ways that's why having an agent can kind of create a little buffer for that. But I don't know. What do you think about that whole yeah, I mean, that's, idea? That's, of... that, that's a, the good cop, bad cop scenario, right? I mean, it's uh, they they can help from from my vantage point. They can really help navigate the relationship when it can get bumpy. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I hear me. I'm not saying I don't want authors, writers to get money or to get advances. I'm just saying that oftentimes uh, the investment is over is accentuated on the monetary side rather than the relational. And so when you know the publisher doesn't get their money back, they just kind of walk away. And that relationship uh, comes to an end or is hindered simply because, okay, we paid you this much money and we didn't, uh, that was a bad investment. So we're going to look for some other, you, you just become an investment, not um, a craftsman. Yes, I see. Yeah. So when you have the relationship, then it can be a richer experience overall. Is that what yeah. you're and, Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm suggesting too that in, you know, if a writer has an author or an author has an agent and or a publisher that, to see it as, as a, a relationship. You are getting into a, a relationship here with the agent who is going to represent you, earn his percent, his or her percentage, and they should serve you well. Equally, the publisher, the editor should do that as well. So it's, it's uh, <laughs> you're coming into a relationship that yeah. you want to make sure is, is going to be a healthy one. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you've already given some excellent advice to authors to to work at their craft, to read a lot, to read a, a wide variety of things. So you gave us some really practical tips. So I hate to keep kind of coming back to see if you have anything else, but do you have any sort of final words of advice for, for writers? Yeah, I, I just take heart. <laughs> um, you know, if, you know, you, I'm sure every one of your listeners have heard the story of, you know, a variety of, of authors who, you know, you know, John Gresham got his first contract after umpteen, umpteen rejection slips. And, you know, there are countless stories of well-known authors who, um, you know, persevered essentially and didn't get their big deal until, uh, book three, or, you know, they got 20 rejection letters, and then that 21st uh, one was the one that, that cracked open their career. And so I would, I guess that's what I would say, Anne, is to, to take heart, to persevere, to not give up. If you have been called to write, to be faithful in your discipline, and to, to hang in there, um, to persevere. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, I've seen, you know, it it was said to Francis Chan, don't write your book until you are 40 and crazy love came out when he was 40. And I think there's some good advice in that, that, you know, and I'm not saying to all your listeners who are in their teens, they should start writing, but, um, there's something about being willing to wait and, Um, something to be said about having a level of life experience and maturity to be able to write about those uh, events or moments 
um, you know, if you're going to write a book on parenting and you're single, I'd be pretty doubtful about your content, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, someone who's written about uh, the joy of, of being married forever when you're only in year two. Um, I don't think you're ha- going to have as much to say as the person who writes about marriage after 60 years of being with uh, their partner. So, um, yeah, I just think time. Uh, people who have many of my author friends who know me, I, I always use this analogy. Uh, one of the finest wines out there on the market is a, a lovely wine, uh, Chateau Neuf de Pape. And it happens after being years and years in, you know, fermentation. And there's a lot of Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid's really easy to put out. You know, you put open the pack and mix it with water and boom, you've got grape juice. But a really fine wine takes a lot of years. And I'd rather be a purveyor of fine wine than Kool-Aid. I love it. I love it. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for all your wisdom, insight, uh, insider knowledge. And uh, yeah, I hope that you continue to make these wonderful discoveries, bringing voices to the world. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And it's always good to chat with you, Anne. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with Don Pape. I'll include links to Nav Press and the Navigators, along with authors, book titles, and independent bookstores he mentioned. You can find all of this information at annecroker.com slash donpape, D-O-N-P-A-P-E. My name's the trickiest part. It's spelled K-R-O-E-K-E-R. So again, you can find all this information at annecroker.com slash donpape. I'm Ann Croker cheering you on as a writing coach in your ear. Everywhere we may meet. At my website, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in your inbox, here on this podcast, over at Patreon, or even in person. I'm always looking for ideas to share with you that will help you achieve your writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. Thank you for listening.